So throughout this last uh, year, I've overheard a lot of conversations from a few of you saying that uh, Lent is maybe your favorite season, or or maybe it's Epiphany, or Eastertide. For me, it's ordinary time. I love this season. I love the, the plainness of the green, the steadiness of it, the sort of the predictability of it. I love that we take all of these beautiful lessons uh, that we've been learning throughout the year and allow them to just soak over us. And especially as, as, as a church planter, and as many of you know who have been pouring out your hearts into this church, it's nice to kind of have some, some nice ordinary routine uh, ahead of us, isn't it? Well, I have these three maple trees outside of my house. Uh, they're, they're very, very tall. They're beautiful. They, they're between my house and the, and the neighboring house. They kind of form a barrier there. And I swear, I, I, I'm pretty sure that they have grown by at least three or four feet just in the last month or so. I mean, these things have really, really taken off. Furthermore, their leaves are like massive this year. They're huge leaves. They're very, very dark and they're thick. And it's no wonder because this has been quite a winter for us, right? Like we've had records amounts of snowfall, and then it seemed like we were always under a flood watch. You know, these, these trees have been receiving lots and lots of water throughout this past year, right? And it's not just the leaves or these trees that are exploding. It seems like Minneapolis itself is sort of exploding with activity right now. My wife and I like to joke that Minneapolis is, is very much, uh, well, it, well, you know when you're a kid and you find a big rock and you, and you flip the rock over and then all these bugs just scatter all over the place? That's kind of like what happens when winter gets removed, okay? The, the big heavy rock of winter gets removed and then all the people come out. And it's like you can't drive your car anywhere without like accidentally running into somebody because there's so many bikers and pedestrians and all sorts of things that are going on right now. Well, we are in a season now of growth and of exploration, As Kirk said, this is the first Sunday of ordinary time. And my prayer for us is that this season of ordinary, this six-month-long season, could be a season in which the waters of God's word just totally soak our roots all the way down and that we may be fed and nourished by that. And may the warmth of the Father's love just radiate all around us. May the wind of his spirit fill us and cause us to just sway and sing the Lord's praises. My prayer is that this season of ordinary time would be a time of steady and consistent and beautiful and full growth for all of us. Well, today our lectionary has for us uh, Luke chapter 8, the story of the man who's been plagued with, with demons. Uh, sometimes this is called the, the story of the Gerasene demoniac. Now, on one hand, this story is anything but ordinary, Like, this is a story that would seem very fitting during Lent. You know, Jesus is confronting evil. Um, That makes sense. But why in the world would this story be in ordinary time? This is a wild and crazy story. We've got a naked man who's running around, screaming his head off, yelling at people. There's a herd of pigs that's drowned in the middle of a sea. And then it ends with the entire city coming out to Jesus and telling him to go away. Like, this is a crazy story, right? We have the clash of the Son of God and the legion of demons. This is such an unusual and bizarre story. But then on the other hand, as I watch the news, as I scroll through headlines, and I see all the wild things that are going on in our world, uh, we see political polarization that's happening, countless acts of senseless violence that takes place. 
And even when I meet with folks and I hear the battles that are going on in their own hearts, imprisonment to pornography, we hear about um, depression taking over, slavery to alcohol, self-hatred that's happening, self-harm that's happening. And even when I quiet my own heart and I pay attention to my own insecurities, my own fears, my own sense of guilt, I turn to this story and I think that this story is actually pretty normal. This story belongs in ordinary time. It feels very familiar to me. So today we're going to be looking at the power of evil, and then we're going to be looking at the power of Jesus. There's lots of good news after the talk of evil. And I'm going to say three things about each one of these. Because it's my belief that the more that we can see this as a story of the ordinary, the more that we can see that it's Jesus Christ who is in the everyday business of breaking chains and setting people free. So three points about evil. My first point is actually pretty obvious. I think, I hope you guys know this. But evil is really dangerous. Like evil is very, very dangerous. And we can see plenty of examples from our story. He cries out from a very loud voice, just sort of terrorizing the entire countryside there in the city. The other writers, uh, oh, and I should also point out, this story isn't just told in Luke's gospel. We hear it both in Matthew and in Mark. It's a very long story. The writers spend a lot of time discussing this. And we hear from the other writers that this man would also cut himself with stones that he would find. And then the townspeople, they would use the best technology of their day, chains and shackles, to try to restrict this man But he's so filled with power, he's so dangerous that he's able to break through these chains. When asked his name, he says that his name is Legion. This is a Roman term that refers to a large segment of an army, sometimes up to 6,000 people this can refer to. And these demons, this, this force, this massive army is now inside of this man, present with this man. And these demons are very destructive. They take an entire herd of pigs into the sea there, into the lake. Now, a really quick clarification here. We're not talking about mental illness here in this story. Mental illness doesn't give him supernatural powers. Uh, Mental illness doesn't send an entire herd of pigs into the sea. No, this is a story about the power and the force and how dangerous evil can be. So just this past week, there was a government meeting that was happening in Alaska, and uh, a member of the local satanic temple was invited to come and offer the opening prayer for this, this meeting. And her prayer included this, that which will not bend must break. That which can be destroyed by truth, she says, although I, I don't know necessarily what she would mean by truth, that which can be, be destroyed by truth should never be spared as demise. Isn't that just a chilling prayer? Like, isn't that, ugh, just gives me goosebumps. Did you know that here in Minneapolis, there's over 300 Wiccan covens throughout the Twin Twin Cities. There's over 300 Wiccan covens. And you've probably heard me share stories before of where I've been working in a coffee shop and overheard people talking about where to go for the best um, spiritual uh, advice Uh, from like seances and things like that. Friends, this stuff is dangerous. Like we can't toy with this. We can't go and investigate this. This isn't something that we want to get close to. 
Stories like today's story from Luke show us that, that we don't mess around with this stuff. And we certainly don't invite, us, invite it in. Evil is destructive and dangerous. So my second point. Evil splinters a whole community. Evil splinters a whole community. Did you notice that this man used to have a home? That's how the first paragraph of this story begins. He used to have a home. In verse 27, we're told that he doesn't live in that home anymore. And then at the end of the story, when he's restored, Jesus tells him to go, return back to your home. So I wonder if his parents still live in that town. I wonder if he had a wife and kids. And we know, I mean, it's pretty safe to assume he certainly had neighbors, right? Now, we can only speculate about his relationships, but we know without a doubt that the whole story knows this man's, or the whole town knows this man's story. In fact, I bet you could think about where you grew up. Maybe it was a small town. You probably had someone like this who lived in that city. You know, you'd walk on the other side of the sidewalk if you saw them coming. Your parents would tell you to avoid them at night. So, however this man fell into this present state, we know that the evil in his life had become so um, destructive, so horrible for that community, that it was too much for that community to bear, and he was told to leave. Now, obviously, he tried to go back home. We know he tried to go back home, because why else would the townspeople try to chain him and try to restrain him? For the sake of their, their own safety, they tried to condemn this man to the tombs. But chaining him wasn't enough. He would still break out. Fathers would make sure that their homes were locked extra tight. Mothers would tell their children, don't go out at night and definitely stay away from those tombs. Don't go near the graveyard. Evil is dangerous. Evil splinters the whole community. And thirdly, evil is a liar. Evil is a liar. There's so many lies that come from the evil one in this story. Jesus asks for the man's name. And, and you know that Jesus is asking the man his name. He's, the question is directed to the man. He's not talking to the demons here. And the man responds and he says, Legion. Now, do you think that man's mama named him Legion? Like, that's a horrible name, right? Like, who would want to name their kid that? You know, a, a good first century Roman name would have been something like Hermes or Urbanos or, or Apollos or something really cool like that. No one would name their kid Legion. No, the evil had become so controlling of this man so invasive, so soaked down to the core of who he is that he's come to define himself by that evil. I'm sure even in hearing that, you can think of maybe lies that you've told yourself or lies that you hear other people telling themselves where you come to define yourself by the evil. You see, this man has forgotten who he is and he's defining himself by this, by this presence. Another lie he has that we see is that he believes that he's unlovable. He believes that he's unlovable. When Jesus comes towards him, he says, what do you have to do with me? In other words, Jesus, you are other. Why are you coming towards me? We don't have anything in common. You are clean, I am not. You are whole, and I am bleeding. You have disciples, I have demons. You are alive, and I'm walking among the tombs. You see, the lie is that this man believes that he is unlovable. He thinks that he is completely irrelevant to Jesus Christ. Oh, thank God that he is wrong, right? That's what this story is about. 
The love of Jesus is always relevant to every aspect of our lives, to every human being who we've ever met. The love of Jesus is relevant to the very depths of our own heart. Evil is dangerous. Evil splinters a community. Evil is a liar. The longer I look at this story, the more I read it, the more I reflect on it, the less I think that this is a, a, a clash of Jesus and his, his arch-nemesis. This isn't a superhero story that's going on here. The more I see this story, the more I see my neighbor, my friend, myself. That's what this story is about. Are you cut off from people who you love? Are you ashamed about your past? Do you think your damaged goods are unworthy of love? Well, the good news of this passage is that God is not afraid of our mess at all. He descends down from, from heaven. He passes over the sea. He calms a storm in order to get here. And once he's in this unclean territory, in this unclean part of town, he walks through all of that and he looks at us face to face. He wants to be with us face to face, no matter how filthy or dirty the things are around us or within us. He has the power to overcome evil. Let's talk about that power. Three things about it. First, the power of Jesus is stronger. The power of Jesus is mightier. It's magnificent. What the community tries to bind with shackles and chains, what this man himself tries to accept and cope with, Jesus, with just one motion of his hand, is able to send it all to the bottom of the sea. I was reminded of 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 8. The man of lawlessness, that is, Satan, will at one day be revealed, but the Lord Jesus will slay him with the breath of his mouth. How effortless, right? Just the breath of his mouth is able to slay Satan and his minions. Now, in Luke's account of this story, we actually don't hear Jesus um, talking straight to the demons. When Matthew tells this story, Jesus just says one word, go, and they all go. But I kind of like that in Luke's version, it doesn't say anything. It's, it's as if to say here in Luke's telling of it that the mere breath or the mere wave of his hand and the demons obey. Not just one demon, but an entire legion of demons, thousands of demons obey. The power of Jesus is mightier. Second, the power of Jesus fully restores. I kind of like that word, restoration. <laughs> the power of Jesus fully restores. This story begins, and we have this disturbing picture of a man. This isn't something that you want to put in your Sunday school coloring sheets and hand out at the back. You don't want this picture in your mind, right? But now, at the end of it, we see something that is completely opposite in every single way. He's clothed, he's in his right mind, and he's sitting calmly at the teacher's feet. What in the world was going through his mind in that moment? Was he waking up from a dream? Did he have any knowledge of what had just happened? Is he seeing color for the first time as he looks around? Hearing the birds, maybe? Hearing the waves lap upon the beach? What was that moment like for him? Surely he's not embarrassed about his appearance anymore. The disciples had given him clothes. He looks great. <laughs> and he doesn't hear the voices in his mind anymore. He has full control of his body. He's not running around, bouncing off the tombs. He's sitting still. He is fully restored. 
Thirdly, the power of Jesus reaches a whole community. This man wants to go with Jesus, right? And sometimes throughout the Gospels, Jesus is inviting people to come, follow me. But here Jesus has another mission for him. He tells him to return home. Now there's another sermon here about how difficult that can be, right? As someone who's been fully transformed, to go back into your your home, your community, we'll, we'll save that for another day. But what I love about this is that Jesus hasn't given up for the community, right? Like this is, a, this is an entire community who comes out against Jesus and says, you're freaking us out, it's time to get back in your boat and go away. And does Jesus just wash his hands of them? No, he's still holding on hope. He still wants to see the transformation of those people. And so how does he do it? He says to the man, go back and proclaim all that God has done for you. Now, I'm sort of reminded of the story from John's gospel of Jesus meeting with the woman at the well, and he tells her everything that she's ever done. Remember that? And she goes back to the town, and it's because of her testimony, the whole town comes to believe in the words of Jesus. We don't know the rest of this story. Maybe that's what happens. Maybe that's what goes on here. It's at least beautiful to see that that's what God's desire is. Now, when I have conversations with people who aren't believers in Jesus, typically they don't like having theological debates. That's also just not my own personality. I'm, I'm not really up for debating here and there. But, you know, people don't really want to engage in theological debates with Christians. That's not really their cup of tea. People don't always want to hear the latest ontological or cosmological argument for God's existence, as, as cool as those things are, and I love to read up and listen about that, to that sort of stuff. But when I'm talking to non-believers, they're, they're also not interested in why I think the Bible is a historically relevant book that we can rely on it. They usually aren't interested in that. But people always want to hear a story. They always want to hear your story. They want to know what the Lord has done for you. And that's what we see Jesus encouraging this man to do. So some of you may have heard of uh, Shannon uh, Sedwick Davis She's the CEO of the Bridgeway Foundation. This is a Christian human rights group that is battling against genocides. Okay, like amazing stuff that this group does, the Bridgeway Foundation. So they're particularly focused on this one group in Central Africa called the Lord's Resistance Army. Don't be fooled by the name. They have nothing to do with our Lord. The LRA attacks villages that are defenseless, captures their young people, and forces them to fight in their armies. Truly heinous, evil stuff, right? So David Okiti was one of these young men who was captured a few years ago. Uh, he was captured when he was about eight or nine or so, and, and he was actually able to escape when he was 39. And he became, a, David became a tremendous asset to the Bridgeway Foundation. And he was very, very clever, very insightful, brilliant guy. What would happen is Bridgeway, they would somehow find out the names of, of an individual who was fighting in this army. They would find out the name of a soldier, and then David would go to that soldier's home village, and he would look for surviving family members. And he'd pull out his iPhone, and he'd ask them to record a message to their son. And usually the message was, ah. I told myself, I was like, I can't cry during this. <laughs> okay. 
So the message was, come home, my son. I've never stopped waiting for you. Come home. And so then what Bridgeway would do, they'd take his iPhone, they'd plug it into these big, massive speakers, they'd bolt the speakers onto the bottom of a helicopter, and they would fly it over the forest, blaring that message. Come home, my son. I've never stopped waiting for you. How amazing is that? During these missions, can you guess how many people would come out of the armies, come out of the forests, and escape? 730 soldiers during their time. How amazing is that, right? You see, friends, Jesus today is still in the rescue business. And you might think you're too unclean, but remember, there was a man in the tombs who was filled with unclean spirits. He was in an unclean country. He was in an unclean part of town, hanging out with unclean animals. He was filthy, but Jesus found him. And today, Jesus is using people like Shannon Davis, like David Okiti, to go into the land of the half-living, to proclaim a message of hope and of restoration and to return people back to their homes. This is ordinary time, friends. This is ordinary time for the Christian. In spite of of the power and prevalence of evil, our God is stronger, and he has the power to fully restore us back into our communities. We worship a God who is in the business of taking evil and casting it into the bottom of the sea. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you that you take um, rather extraordinary things like conquering death, the devil, and darkness, and you turn them into ordinary parts of our lives. Lord, I pray for all those here who feel like they're too unclean. Lord, may they know that you are a God who pursues them, who desires them, who wants to be with us who wants to clean us and integrate us back into a fully restored community. May we be that church, God. May you show us ways that we can be a part of this work. Lord, may we be a part of your restoration activity here. Lord, we love you and it's for your glory we pray. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.